We're on chapter 3, section 3, Keeping God at the Center. Does anybody uh, remember the three opportunities that conflict brings that we talked about last week? Opportunity to glorify God, right? To grow in Christ, and there you go, to minister to others. Uh, Again, I'd encourage you to just kind of pound those into your mind, Uh, maybe write it on a sticky note or something and read those every day because it's it's such a helpful filter to think about how we should be be responding in a moment of conflict uh, if we have those in our minds. We have the opportunity to glorify God, to grow in Christ, and to minister to others. Uh, Because glorifying God uh, is our highest priority, or ought to be our highest priority as believers, I want to spend a whole session uh, talking about that. How do we take advantage of the opportunity? What does it even mean to glorify God in the midst of conflict? So that's really the the lesson for today. First of all, we have to start just with the principle of what does it mean to glorify God, right? We, We use that language, we hear that language all the time, but we don't always understand uh, or have clarity in our mind as to what exactly does that look like. Uh, what does it mean to glorify God? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there's two ways that, that we do that. Uh, actually, before we, we get there, I skipped over the, the main verses there. We know that glorifying God is our primary purpose from passages like 1 Corinthians 10.31. So then, whether you eat or you drink... Or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And remember, remember that passage, 1 Corinthians 10, is the situation where the believers were in conflict over how do we handle the eating of meat sacrificed to idols? How do we respond when, as Christians, we have different opinions about what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing in our lives? And so that statement is not just like, hey, when you're eating cereal in the morning and when you're having a steak for dinner, make sure you're glorifying God. Uh, it's the context of whether you eat things that you're okay with and other people aren't okay with, um, or whether you abstain from those things. Whatever choice you make in these controversial issues, make sure that you're being guided by the, the aim of glorifying God. And then there's Second Corinthians 5.9, uh, which says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And that's the same idea, uh, except there the context is the fact that uh, our bodies are wasting away. You know, right now he uses the language of a tent in that broader passage that we we dwell in tents. Uh, But one day when we're with Christ, we will have a building from God, meaning we'll have a glorified body. And so when he says whether we're at home or away, he's saying whether we're on earth or whether we're in heaven, uh, we make it our aim to please God. Christ. So pleasing Christ is not just our singular uh, or highest aim in heaven. It certainly will be, but it also ought to be our highest aim here on earth. And so uh, we should be aiming to glorify God and to please him. But again, what does that look like? Uh, we do that. We, we glorify God two ways, vertically and horizontally. I think this is a helpful way to think about this, uh, I like the, the picture of holding up a mirror. Uh, you're showing other people uh, what God is like when, uh, you know, you hold the mirror kind of, I guess you'd have to hold it at, at an angle where uh, God is, if you will, shining down and you're, and you're reflecting what God is like to others. Uh, so we glorify God horizontally to, toward other people by putting on display the character of God, the, the works of God, uh, the priorities of God. You're showing other people what God is like uh, in, in that way. Uh, but then we can also turn the mirror upward where it's just pointing straight up and we're reflecting back to God uh, what he is like as an expression of praise <clears throat> and worship. That we're saying, yes, God, you are uh, good, you are righteous, you are faithful, you are patient, you are forgiving. And so when we imitate God, we're affirming to him that he is uh, what he has revealed himself to be in scripture and that that is a good thing, that that is worthy of, of praise and adoration. So glorifying God has the has a worship component of, of kind of praise, adoration, affirmation. 
and it has a, a witness component of showing other people what God is like. So really the short answer, explanation as to what does it mean to glorify God in conflict is we glorify God in conflict when we imitate the character of Christ uh, toward those that we're in conflict with and, of course, others who are observing. Now, glorifying God is easy when our desires align with his desires and especially that of others, right? When uh, when there's no conflict between us, when we all are just wanting to praise and serve the Lord and we've banded together and we're accomplishing a common purpose, it's easy to glorify God. It's easy to be patient when you really don't have anything to be patient over, <laughs> right? It's easy to be loving when everybody's getting along. Uh, it's easy to be forgiving when other people are quick to uh, repent and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yes, I forgive you. I, I love forgiving you because you're such a, a repentant person. Uh, that's easy to do. The hard part of glorifying God is when our desires are in conflict, certainly with others, uh, but also with God's. Sometimes when we, well, often when we want what we want uh, and we are more interested in getting what we want than we are interested in glorifying God, that's when glorifying God is the hardest because we're having to choose who is really in control of our life? So glorifying God in conflict, another way to say that is it's an opportunity to put, to put on display for yourself, for the Lord, and for others, who is in control? Who is on the throne of your life? Who is the ruler of your life? This is why when uh, we looked at briefly uh, a couple weeks ago, Colossians 3, 5, I think it is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Remember that, that word rule I said is, it's like an umpire. It's, it's, a, it's a judge. And so what he's saying is, let the peace of Christ be the, the arbiter, the determiner of how you should respond in any given situation. And so that's what we're talking about here, that the, the aim of glorifying God uh, really determines, puts on display that God himself is uh, our Lord, that he is on the throne of our lives, and that we are um, submitting ourselves to him no matter what our desires are. So what are some principles for pleasing God? Uh, First of all, we must make pleasing God our single, all-consuming life goal. Right? If you don't have pleasing or glorifying God as kind of your, your day-to-day goal, it's going to be incredibly difficult when you're in a, in a moment of intense conflict to all of a sudden start having that, that priority. And so it's, it starts, if you want to please God, keep God at the center of conflict, glorify Him in those intense moments when you know you're going to be most easily tempted to uh, anger and, and, and you know, yelling and, or retreating and isolating yourself, whatever your, your particular uh, uh, tendencies are. If you're going to respond well, you have to have the all-consuming life goal of glorifying God. You see there Mark 12, verse 30, of course, the great uh, commandment, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So we don't make glorifying God our goal sometimes, <laughs> on Sundays, uh, at, at small group Bible study, when we're getting together with friends, but uh, we, that's not something that we think about when we're by ourselves, when we're at work, you know, when we're answering the phone call and we know it's a telemarketer. You know, that, no, no we, we ought to make pleasing God our single, all-consuming life goal. And so the starting point for handling conflict in a way that glorifies God, again, is, is establishing this goal as uh, your entire life's purpose and aim. Secondly, we must seek to please God and not ourselves or others. Please God and not ourselves or others. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? 
Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave or a bondservant of Christ. In that context, Paul is having to say some really hard things to the Galatian church. Right? They've been uh, kind of deceived by those who taught that you had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian, that you had to obey some aspects of the law in order to be a faithful Christian. And so he's having to um, confront them about that and chastise them, really, because they, they should know better. They, they know the gospel. They heard it from the apostle Paul himself. And so he, he speaks truth, uh, frankly and directly, but still with love. And he does that, according to this verse, not as, an, as a way of pleasing them, but as a way of pleasing God. And, and this is where we really have to see that uh, the only way that we can uh, respond rightly in a moment of conflict is to have glorifying God as our uh, highest priority. Because if we don't, we're going to succumb to the temptations to take the easy route. Well, maybe if I just don't say anything, things will work out. Maybe if I just, you know, give up and, you know, let them have their way and don't make a big deal out of it, everything will be okay. Or, you know, whatever the situation might be that you might be tempted to just avoid the situation because, you know, you just, oh, I'll just, I'll just let them have, have their way. That's seeking to please man, not seeking to please God. Now, there might be situations where, you know, it is... Uh, a God-pleasing thing to do to give up your desires and preferences and to serve them by allowing them to have their way. So that's that's not off the table. But if you're motivated by a desire to please them, to just not deal with the situation, to not do the hard thing, to not say the hard things, to not bring confrontation because you're you have a fear of man, you're kind of afraid of what they might say, or you just... You know, you're really nervous and you don't feel good about it. I don't know anybody, maybe maybe one person, that likes confrontation, right? That just uh, feels comfortable going up and saying something hard to someone, right? I certainly don't. I shake, right? <laughs> My heart uh, beats fast. You know, if, if, I, if, if I'm thinking about making a phone call, I'm, well, this is back when we had the, you know, the, touch uh, phones, but I'm just, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to press the number or, you know, on the cell phone, whatever. And, uh, you know, I almost have to psych myself out and just be like, oh, God, this is going to do it. <laughs> you know, and then I'm forced to talk to them. Like, I don't like conflict, right? I don't like confrontation, and I don't think most of us do. So, again, how do we work through that? How do we overcome our fears uh, and our natural fleshly tendencies? Well, you do that by making glorifying God your ultimate purpose. Say, it's not about me. Uh, It's not about how I feel. It's not about what this person thinks or how I think they might respond. No, no, I want to glorify God. And if this, if I I need to have a conversation, if I need to say something uh, that I know needs to be said for uh, for their good, uh, for us working through this so that God is glorified, then that's that's what I'm going to do, even if it's hard. So we must seek to please God, not ourselves or others. Uh, Also, we must seek to please God according to God's word. Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So the the point there is sometimes we can think we're pleasing God, uh, but we're not. We're really pleasing ourselves. And so we need to make sure that uh, we're pleasing God in a way that's consistent with his word. And this kind of goes back to the example of, you know, just kind of dying to yourself, you know, giving up your, um, uh, your, your rights or, or your preferences, uh, but doing it again, motivated wrongly, uh, motivated by personal uh, selfishness, not wanting to make uh, a big deal about it, not wanting to have a hard conversation, just, just taking the easy road. No, no, no. if we're going to glorify God, we have to do it the way that he has instructed us to do. And you know, one of the key principles of his instruction, of how we are to glorify him is to love others. Right? Not only do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so sometimes that means that we have to have hard conversations. So we have to make sure that we're being faithful to his way of 
living and, and, and uh, responding to others. A third or a fourth there, we need to seek to please God by depending on God's power. So we glorify God by depending on God's power. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Uh, we, we can, again, in a moment of difficulty, we can just rely on our own flesh, our, on our own strength. You know, like I said, psych ourselves out to, to do something that, that we know needs to be done. But to really glorify God, we have to recognize that we can't do anything of value without his strength, without his help, without his guidance and his wisdom. And so we want to uh, place ourselves under his uh power. We want to depend on him. You know, that begins with prayer, seeking his, um, his blessing, uh, asking for his strength and his wisdom, uh, not depending on ourselves. We want to depend on him. And so how do we do that? Well, you know, if you go further there into Ephesians chapter six, you do that by putting on the full armor of God. Uh, all of the different pieces that uh, relate to various aspects of the gospel. You know, the, the shoes that are the gospel of peace. Uh, that's, I think, one of the lesser understood aspects of the armor of God, lesser emphasized. But uh, the, the gospel of peace grounds us in life by reminding us that we have peace with God. And nothing can re- take that away. Uh, if you're a soldier in a battle and you're doing hand-to-hand combat, the last thing you want to happen is to fall down, is to slip and be lying on your, on your back uh, because then you've lost the battle. You, you're, you're done. You're, you're going to get taken out. And the shoes of the gospel of peace, the gospel secures us so that we can stand firm because we know that we are at peace with God. Uh, and then you just walk through the pieces of the armor and you think about how God has protected us and secured us in Him. And knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what God has done for us, empowers us to then do the hard things. Because we know that nothing bad will happen to us except what God intends to use for our good. Uh, God will protect us, and God has protected us through Christ in the Gospel. And then another principle of pleasing God is that Jesus alone has fulfilled this God-pleasing goal perfectly. Now this helps us because it, it kind of sets the expectation for us that we're not going to be able to do this perfectly. Right, we're going to aim to glorify God, Lord willing, but we can't expect that we're going to do it perfectly. And so when we fail... Instead of giving up the whole endeavor and saying, well, if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not going to try at all. No, we recognize that uh, Christ alone has done it perfectly. And therefore, when we fail, we can look to him, we can confess our sin, you know, repent and, and move forward. Uh, Matthew 3.17 there is uh, when Jesus was coming up out of the water of baptism And the Father said uh, from the heavens, This is my beloved Son, in uh, whom I am well pleased. And then Matthew 17 is when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Uh, Again, from the clouds, uh, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we know that Christ pleased the Father. We know that He is sinless, that He perfectly obeyed the law that he did everything the Father told him to do. He said everything the Father told him to say. And so he is our model, and he is our security. Again, that even when we fail, we can look to him uh, for comfort, uh, for forgiveness, and for encouragement. Uh, Because the reality is we will fail, right? We will mess up. We'll blow up in anger, or we'll say the wrong thing. We'll uh, you know, we won't be as gentle and gracious as we should, or we'll just be quiet and we won't say something when we should say something. Whatever it is, we're going to mess up. We will. And so we just need to remember that God knows that we're going to be imperfect, and so we can uh, continue to trust in Him uh, and thank Him for His forgiveness and comfort. Let me just pause there and See if there's any particular comments.
questions on what we said there. Read here, it says like when we're faced with conflict, you're supposed to, um, you know, work on pleasing God. When I'm faced with the conflict, I'm not sure all the time if I'm working towards pleasing God or sometimes when I don't respond when there's a conflict, I'm not sure if it's because I don't have the energy. Um, I'm not sure if I don't respond because there's someone else present um, that's going to speak up for me mm -hmm. at work. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just not sure all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the reality, isn't it, for I think all of us, that we do find ourselves in those situations where we're not sure what is the right way of glorifying God in the moment. Right, and sometimes I think, oh, I did what I was supposed to do um, by not saying anything, and then I'm just not sure. Sometimes I don't respond because, again, just mm -hmm. no energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, well, I, I would say this. Uh, first of all, if we're having the thought, uh, Lord, help me to glorify you in this moment. Just having that thought is glorifying to God. Because you're already demonstrating a priority in your heart and mind of wanting to glorify God. So as a starting point, if, if you're having the thought, uh, then God is glorified by that. Uh, and that's that's a, a demonstration of His grace uh, in in your life, um, and um, you know so, again some of those situations you really can't know until after the fact. Uh, you know, kind of what would have been a better way to respond. I mean, again, for me personally, when I find myself in a difficult conversation, that is when my mind just kind of slows down and. I'm not, I'm, it's not my clearest moment of thinking. And so it always happens without fail that afterward, whether it's a confrontation or just any kind of a hard conversation, that afterward as I'm reflecting on the conversation, I'm thinking, oh, I should have said this, or oh, I should have done that, or I shouldn't have said that. You know, and so uh, again, you, you have those reflective moments of self-evaluation and you just say, Lord, you know, forgive me, uh, Lord, you know, that in that moment I was weak, I was tired, um, and Lord help me, you know, if there's anything I should do now, you know, afterward, if I should come back to that person uh, to respond differently or whatever it might be. You know, there, there's so much, so, you know, when, when you think about should I say something, should I not say something, you use the example of, well, is there somebody else who, who might speak up for me? Uh, th those are tough situations because th there's a, Balance isn't even the right word, but there's a dynamic of uh, it's not wrong when you're falsely accused or misrepresented to speak the truth and say, no, 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 that's, that's not right. On the other hand, um, there's a biblical principle, just a, a principle that says, uh, let not your own lips praise you, but let someone else praise you. And so sometimes it's better just to let someone else chime in. And then also, there's the biblical principle of um, we don't always need to defend ourselves. That it's okay for someone to have a false opinion, a wrong opinion about us. And we can be comforted by the fact that when we see Christ face to face, that we will be vindicated. Uh, that all those who thought wrongly about us, their opinions when they see Christ, uh, will be corrected. And so there, there's just a mixture of things to, to think through there. And, you know, sometimes there's not just one right answer. Uh, glorifying God doesn't have you know, just the one right path in every single situation. It could be done multiple different ways. And so it's, you know, it's a matter of wisdom um, and just trusting the Lord that uh, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that He'll help you, you know, more and more to know how to respond in different situations. Yeah. I think something to keep in mind, too, is your definition between conflict and disagreement. 
Because I think when I think of conflict, I think of any time I need to approach someone in an area they might not agree with me. Mm. And it doesn't mean, like, because I, 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 when you said about honoring God, I thought about a situation I had this week. And I'm like, how would I apply that? But I think in the situation, not that we shouldn't honor God in every situation, but the situation wasn't necessarily sinful. It was just an area where I didn't agree with the approach that happened and I needed to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't a sinful situation, so it wasn't like that I wasn't being God right. honored. You know, right. it's not and in those situations we don't always need to confront a person, depending on what it is. The situation right. was school related. So sure. but you know, so I think we have to remember that like because for me, conflict is anytime I have to talk to someone about something that you know, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it, it is conflict per right. se if it wasn't right. if it's not a sinful thing and we're just disagreeing about how something yeah. should be run or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, was anybody at uh, Gloria Tillery's uh, funeral this week? So uh, it's really interesting. One of their one of her granddaughters, this was Lauren Terry's or Tillery's uh, mom. We had her funeral here at the church. Um, one of the granddaughters uh, gave a kind of testimony about her life. And one of the things she she noted is that um, Gloria, this woman who has incredible or had incredible life experience, education, she was a teacher, very active in politics and all these things. And so, you know, very knowledgeable, very sharp uh, intellectually. How when she would talk to someone and she would disagree with what they were saying, how instead of arguing, she would say, well, if that's what you say, <laughs> if, or if you say so, you know, and so, I, wow, that's that's uh, that's uh, really humble to be able to, to do that. So, you know, obviously, yes, you can have a conversation about disagreement. You can you can talk through things without it being a conflict, and that's very different. Now, the way you even approach that conversation though could be a matter of glorifying God. You know, you could come with accusations, man, you did this wrong, and you know, you're, you're destroying the whole thing, and or or come with a you know gentle, peaceable uh, approach. But uh, but at, at just the point that there's a disagreement doesn't mean there's a conflict. Yeah, that, that's helpful. All right, well, let's talk about some implications of pleasing God for resolving conflicts. So I sometimes wonder, like, what's the difference between when you do just, like, forgive versus confront? And I'm not sure if this is correct, but, like, I think one of the things is, like, if it's eating me up, then I probably should discuss it. But if it's, like, oh, that was irritating, but it's fine, I can, Mm -hmm. like, then I don't have to. But, and also, like, something I'm learning is how to, like, well, sometimes it's for the other person's benefit if you bring it up. You know, so if you just, like, well, you know, let let it slide, then they may not Mm -hmm. learn Mm -hmm. or know what they're doing. So I Mm -hmm. guess it's all motive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have a whole session on confrontation. It'll be a practicum. We can confront each other. No, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about several principles to know when to confront. And those those are two two of them. So those are really helpful. Um, yeah, if your relationship is hindered, you know, even if it's just in your own mind, but you can't engage with them uh, until the thing's dealt with, and then you you uh, talk talk about it. Or if you see that they're being hindered in some way, that it's for their benefit. Yeah, those, those are two of the helpful principles. All right, uh, so the first implication of pleasing God uh, for resolving conflicts is that failure to please God, our failure, or the other person's, or both of ours, is really the ultimate cause of relational conflict. And again, we're, we're not talking about disagreement here, we're talking about conflict. So... Uh, it's a, it's a failure of loving God and loving others. That when we have sinned against each other, when we've not approached a disagreement or a situation in a, a God-honoring, uh, others-loving kind of way, that's when conflict erupts. Uh, all the way back in Genesis 6, this is uh, before the flood, but the same thing is said after the flood. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. So, the reason that the earth was filled with violence is because the heart of mankind was corrupt. And again, the same is true. It's restated in chapter 8 after the floods. So, the reason we have conflict in our lives is because 
there's corruption in our hearts. Um, again, either in our heart, in terms of uh, actions we've taken or words we've said or attitudes we've had, or in the other person, uh, or in both of our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul talks about how Christ gave himself. He died for all so that those who live, which is believers, might no longer live for themselves. And the implication here is that when you're not a believer, uh, you are living for yourself. That, that is the modus operandi for unbelievers. And that includes all of us before Christ, that we lived for ourselves. And Titus says, or Paul says the same thing in Titus 3, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, which really is the idea of being hated, being despised, and hating one another. Uh, again, this is just the character of unbelievers. Uh, and then in James 4, he says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So sometimes we have conflicts because we are, in a manner of speaking, making ourselves a friend of the world. We we want the, the things of the world. We love the things of the world. We are, are preferring the things of the world. And so that puts us in conflict, certainly with God, but also with others. And so if we can recognize, okay, what is it in me, uh, and perhaps even the other person, but first and foremost in me, what is it in me that I have not pleased God in this situation? Where have I already failed to, to please God and to love uh, this person that I'm in conflict with? Uh, and... Uh, Examining ourselves, thinking through that, praying through that uh, will help us uh, understand what's taken place and where the problem needs to be addressed. Secondly, there, the goal of pleasing God keeps our focus on God, not on the conflict issues or on the other person. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore the issues, that you ignore the other person, but it means that there's kind of a priority in your mind of I need to focus on glorifying God. Colossians 3, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He talks about putting away wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. How does all of that happen? How do you not live according to the flesh? Well, you keep your mind on Christ. You know, as you're having a conversation with another person, whether it's a, you know, a, a healthy interaction or whether it's a tense interaction, you obviously need to be listening as they're speaking, not just listening, waiting for that pause so that you can get in and say what you want to say, but actually listening, trying to understand their perspective. But while you're doing that, saying, Lord, help me to, to love them. Help me to, to honor you in, in my interaction with this person. So you're looking at them, but you're also first and foremost thinking about how you can glorify God in that moment. Second Timothy 2, Paul says, Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So the idea here is that, uh, not that we don't care about the things of this world, but that we, they just become of a less priority for us. Again, when, when our conflict relates to possessions or money uh, or the things of this world, uh, we are, our focus is not on getting you know, our rights, uh, getting our way, making sure that uh, restitution has taken place. Our focus is on how I can glorify God uh, and love this person. And whatever happens with that other stuff uh, is, is of less significance. And then Christ, in Christ, this goal is always doable, is the next principle, regardless of how the other person behaves. I think the most common thing I encounter, especially in marriage counseling, is I can't do, 
I, I can't honor the Lord because my spouse isn't honoring the Lord. Or what's the point of me honoring the Lord if my spouse isn't going to honor the Lord? And you, you know, take that out of the marriage situation and you can apply that in any relationship. If they're not going to do what God calls them to do, what's the point of me trying? Well, the point is, <laughs> God calls you to glorify Him, regardless of what the other person is doing. It doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter how they act, it doesn't matter what their attitude is, you can glorify God. It's not listed here, but in Romans 12, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Maybe that's 14, 19. Um, as far as it depends on you. It doesn't always depend on you. Sometimes you know, other people just don't want peace to happen. But as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Well, here he's, uh, I have 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. The short interpretation of that is you will never find yourself in a situation where your only option is to sin. You'll never find yourself in a situation where your only option is to sin. So, when you do sin in response to another person's sin, rather than thinking, well, they just got me all riled up. Or I wouldn't have, you know, yelled if you weren't yelling. I, you know, I had to yell because you were yelling. <laughs> um, you know, whatever excuse we might give to pin our sin on them. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what they do. You will never be in a situation where your only option is to sin. You could have chosen a different response. Right? And so we have to take 100% responsibility for our contribution for our sin for our part of it when we talk about confession uh, one of the aspects of confession is uh, avoid if but or maybe right if you wouldn't have done that um, but this is what happened uh, maybe if this worked out this way i would have responded to no no no. you take 100 percent responsibility for your own responses uh, because god will never put you in, in a situation where your only option is to sin and then 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but it's to glorify God in his name. So, now, obviously the, the context there is persecution, that you're being attacked, you're being reviled, specifically because you are naming the name of Christ. And he says, if that's happening to you, uh, number one, don't be surprised, but secondly, respond in a way that's honoring to the Lord so that others will, will see uh, your response. Uh, you are to glorify God uh, not respond sinfully. That same principle applies in a conflict where it's not, where you're, you know, standing as a Christian, your profession of faith in Christ is not the issue. Still, no matter what it, somebody's doing, if they're attacking you, if they're misrepresenting you, if they're falsely accusing you, whatever it is, if it's work related, if it's you know just character assassination, if it's you know you did this and, and whatnot, whatever it is, you should respond in a way. That is glorifying to God. That's what God calls us to do. Nothing should stop us from doing that. Nothing should hinder us from doing that. Is it difficult? Absolutely. It's extremely difficult. But if we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we have the supernatural power to overcome those temptations. Let me just pause there. What, what are you thinking? Don't what? respond at all. <laughs> don't respond at all. Well, I mean, don't respond in the moment, right? Because in the moment, if someone's yelling at you or they're having an argument, it's growling up your inside, you want to 
come back and say something. Sometimes you need to step away, mm -hmm. let it simmer out, and then come back and say something. Yeah. Because you have more of a calm heart at that point where you're able to honor God with your response. Yeah. Rather than being in the moment. All right. Now there's there's two ways that that can happen, or you know, two categories, two types of ways that that can happen. One is I think a, a helpful, healthy, God honoring, others loving kind of way, and another type of way would be a sinful, <laughs> selfish kind of way. So what would it look like to practically do what you're saying, and whether you want to answer somebody else? Not when my child stomps away up the steps and slams the door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had an argument with my sister uh, about behavior or something like that. And I should have acted more Christ like in my response, but I did not. And that probably would have represented me not responding in that manner or just letting her say what she wants to say and then come back and have that conversation when we're both more relaxed mm -hmm. about the situation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm struggling with. Okay. Any any counsel? Anybody wants to give me? Well, I, I would just say, I mean, because I, I, I have a short temper and I know there are a lot of times where I know in the midst of my emotions that I would probably have a tendency to say something out of anger and so there's a lot of times when I need whether it's children or you know where I feel like I just need to step away and calm down and you know get my emotions in check to be able to speak in a God-honoring loving way um, even if it's to you know for correction or you know rebuke but um, but I feel like regardless to, to let the person know, you, you know, to say, I don't think I can say anything in, you know, at, at this moment because I don't think it's going to come out right, you know, just to kind of put that out there so that they know versus just walking away and saying, I can't deal with this right now because that's <laughs> yeah. not yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I think just setting that standard and just letting the other person know hey, I love you and I can't see anything right now is, is kind of a good response just to let them know, hey, I mean, that's going to be something different, right? Yeah. That's a good purpose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. You know, I, again, there's no one right way to say it, but something along the lines of, this, this is something that we really need to talk, talk about, but I love you too much to, to do it right now because I don't have control of my own emotions. So can we come back to this later? Or we will come back to this. <laughs> if it's a child, that you know, probably one. Anyway. Yeah. What about using humor? Well, um, if you can, I suppose it's not entirely out of you know. Uh, you have to be sensitive to you know. Would the relationship? Would they understand that that's you know something that you're able to do in a moment? and not be brushing off the seriousness of the situation. So I think you, you, you just have to have the wisdom to know, do we have a relationship where I can do that? Um, because if you don't, they may misunderstand the use of humor. So The goal of glorifying God will help us to prioritize our efforts, our timing, the energy we put to it, the risks we take, and so on. Matthew 5, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. This is, at least in, in uh, growing up in the church, this has often been used in the context of like if you're you know, having the Lord's Supper or the churches and you're in conflict with someone, don't take the Lord's Supper until you get that taken care of. I wouldn't say that's a wrong application, but I don't see that there's a direct connection there. I think what Jesus is really getting at is the priority of God does not want us to come to him, you know, to, to do the acts of worship all the while we're in conflict with others. Um, you know, in 1 John 4, verse 20, John says, 
I think that's the right verse. Uh, he who hates his brother cannot love God. Uh, so if, if you're having a hateful heart toward another believer especially, uh, you need to make that right because your heart cannot be right with God while you're at odds with another brother. Now, you can be in conflict and not be kind of not have the wrong, you know, hateful attitude. Uh, so it's not that you, you know, should never, you know, worship God, come to church, you know, if you're in conflict, because uh, then most of us probably hardly ever go to church. <laughs> but uh, but the issue is your attitude, and are you taking things seriously? Are you dealing with with things, recognizing their significance? Um, I know one of the hardest things about being in church when you're in conflict with your brothers or sisters in Christ is, you know, as you're worshiping, singing praises to God, as you're listening to the word being preached, you know, part of you is is thinking, what are they thinking? Or I hope they're listening to this sermon <laughs> or, you know, whatever it might be. And so our worship is distracted. And, and so that's not a place you want to be in at least not for very long. So you want to prioritize um, uh, peacemaking and, and restoring relationships, uh, recognizing that uh, it has an impact on your relationship with the Lord. So that prioritizing means, you know, getting it uh, taken care of as soon as possible. Uh, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, there can't be some period of time. Maybe there needs to be a cool down period. It's, as we've talked about, or, or, or something where, you know, just there's a natural delay in being able to have conversations, but you want to aim to um, reconcile sooner rather than later. Um, you know, if someone's in a situation where, you know, you might not see them for a while, uh, you want to uh, try and talk to them before, you know, they leave. Like if someone's going to go on uh, on uh, <sighs> What is it when the military person... My mind just went blank. Deployment. Deployment. I was thinking deportation. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the right word. <laughs> Deployment. Um, I tell you, one of the most frustrating things that ever happened to me uh, is when we moved from Washington State to California to go to seminary, we sold our, our washer and dryer. And um, the lady that bought the dryer... Uh, she had a daughter who uh, was hypo, like had a lot of allergies, and so she had to have special you know blankets that were hypoallergenic and whatnot. And you know, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm not the one who does the laundry in the house, uh, and so I had forgotten that um, the dryer didn't have a timer; it didn't end. Like you had to have your own timer and go and open it to turn it off. And so. Uh, after she had taken it and used it, she sent us a pretty scathing email by the fact that she had put the blanket in the dryer, you know, had gone out to run some errands and came back and the blanket was ruined because it had been in the dryer for so long. And right when I was wanting to respond, uh, because we, we had already moved by that point uh, and our internet provider changed, our internet provider shut down our email. And so I didn't have any way to respond, didn't know her email or anything. I just felt awful that now there's this lingering thing. And then I told her I'm going to seminary. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, Lord. Um, but uh, you, you want to avoid situations where uh, things get um, postponed, delayed, or where they can't be resolved. All right, God might bless our efforts by bringing about reconciliation. So if you're aiming to glorify God, uh, it may be that uh, the, re the result of that is there's reconciliation. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, this is a, a proverb, so this is not an absolute promise. It's kind of a rule of thumb that generally as you're uh, living like Christ, as you're reflecting the character of God, uh, people will generally not be... Um, at odds with you. It's kind of like when Peter says in 1 Peter 3, who is there to harm you if you're eager to do what is good? Well, generally, no one, right? If you're just doing your work uh, as unto the Lord, you're faithful, you have integrity, you, you treat your coworkers well, uh, no one's going to be hating you at work. They're going to love you. 
generally speaking. But there might be that person <laughs> who just hates Christians. And they don't care how good of a worker you are. Uh, they just don't like you, period. And so it's not a guarantee, but generally speaking, when we're aiming to glorify God, the Lord may bless that and bring about reconciliation. If both parties are seeking to please God, full reconciliation is guaranteed. I really think this is true. I don't think there's any conflict that two people who are truly seeking to glorify God cannot overcome. 2 Timothy 4.11, if, uh, where Paul says, Only Luke is with me, but pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Remember, that's when Paul and Barnabas had split in, in Acts 15 because uh, they disagreed about taking John Mark with them. Paul didn't think they should. He didn't trust John Mark because of his previous failure. But somehow by the end of his life, this was near the end of Paul's life, he had reconciled with John Mark. It seemed as though that all the way back in Acts 15, John Mark had uh, come back to uh, faithfulness and wanted to serve the Lord. That's why he and Barnabas went off uh, on their mission uh, service. But it took Paul a little bit longer uh, for that relationship to be restored. But ultimately, it was restored. And that was a pretty significant conflict. That was a breach of trust and of faithfulness, and yet they were able to overcome it. And so I really believe that there is uh, nothing that can happen in our lives that if we are seeking to glorify God, that both parties are, that we won't, uh, we won't fail to reconcile. It is true, and I've experienced this, where you can have two parties who you could legitimately describe as godly, faithful believers that um, you know, just can't come together. But I do think that when that happens, there's aspects of um, glorifying God that aren't taking place. Uh, so, you know, if you and your spouse or you and, and a friend uh, or you and a brother or sister in the Lord, if you're truly seeking to glorify God, I'm convinced that there can be reconciliation. However, even if the other party does not please God, we can experience God's blessing and comfort. So we don't need to be left feeling the, that angst and difficulty of, of a lack of peace. Isaiah 26 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. So trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And then Matthew 7 at the end talks about uh, applying the principles, applying the truths that Jesus has stated, and when the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So we don't have to be destroyed or devastated when there is a broken relationship because the other person is not seeking to glorify God. We can have peace, we can be comforted, we can have strength to move forward in the life that, that God has entrusted to us. And then the next principle there is we must continue our efforts to please God even if the other party doesn't and even if the relationship gets worse. Again, this is our temptation to not do this, that when the other party isn't responding, maybe they're becoming more ungodly, their, their tone is getting harsher, their volume is getting louder, their accusations are getting stronger. Uh, we should still continue to glorify God, even though everything in us wants to give up, give into the flesh, and fight back. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. So your, your persistence, your consistency in glorifying God demonstrates that you have a heart that is honoring to the Lord. And that puts on display the distinction between you and the other person. And so you can be confident that God will, uh, will reveal that um, if, if you are persistent. And then finally, uh, when the goal of pleasing God governs us, the other person's sins and failures really become opportunities not obstacles to please God more and to grow as a Christian. So again, in that situation where the other person is, is if I can put it this way, getting worse and worse, becoming more and more ungodly, 
uh, that actually increases our opportunities to glorify God, to trust in him, and to grow as a Christian. I I give you here uh, a verse from the first four chapters of Peter just to show the consistency of this counsel. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 5-7 he says, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, our persistence in glorifying God is just further proof of the genuineness of our faith, that we're not faking it, that, that we're not just putting on a facade, that, that we actually are uh, uh, trusting the Lord, that we are believing in the Lord. And then from chapter 2, he, he gives us the example of Christ, who when he suffered, he left, uh, he was leaving an example for us to follow, uh, so that when he was reviled. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So the more that we are reviled, the more that we're attacked, the more that we're falsely accused, the more opportunity we have to entrust ourselves to the Father who judges justly or um, righteously, the more we have the opportunity to, to represent, to reflect Christ, to imitate Christ. It's just more opportunity. Chapter 3, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So it's good uh, if it's God's will for us to suffer for doing what's right. We shouldn't say, man, this is, this is a bad thing. Obviously, it's not a pleasant thing. It's not something that we would desire, but it is a good thing if we are glorifying God and the situation keeps getting worse. That's, that's a, a gift from the Lord. And then you have James talking about how to respond uh, to trials there. Um, so, our, if your goal is to please and glorify God, the conclusion here, and your efforts are primarily motivated by that goal, then you will experience peace, joy, and comfort regardless of the outcome of the situation, and most importantly, you will be pleasing God. So everything we're going to talk about from here on out in the class is under that umbrella of we're aiming to please God, we're aiming to glorify God. That's that's our purpose. We're not aiming to get our own way. You know, this is not a here's how to win every argument kind of class. Uh, here's how to uh, to, to uh, get other people to see your your perspective. No, this is all about how can I glorify God in the midst of conflict? How can I trust in Him? How can I love others um, so that He is uh, put first in my life? All right, any, any other thoughts, comments, or questions? How do you handle when you have, like, conflict between family members and you're kind of in the middle? I mean, it's hard to give a, a completely specific answer, but uh, just generally I would say uh, put forth whatever effort you can to talk to, you know, those who are giving the cold shoulder or, where there does seem to be uh, division or lack of communication. And and just try to reach out, try to talk, try to express your desire for relationship. Um, You know, acknowledge ignorance if if that's the case. Uh, You know, I don't know what's happened, but if there's anything that I can do, you know, I love you and would love to, you know, just those kinds of things and see if there's a response. And that's where... You know, we have to go back to Romans fourteen nineteen. that as far as it depends on us, live at peace with all men. If they're not going to respond, then there's really nothing you can do, which is, you know, one of the many tragedies of living in a fallen world is that sometimes brokenness just can't be restored until someone chooses to, to change their, their mindset. Uh, but yeah, just looking for ways to 
uh, to reach out. Um, and, and you can go even beyond that to um, finding ways to be a blessing, uh, to send notes of encouragement, uh, to show love beyond just, hey, can we talk? But you know, setting them a note to say, you know, I was praying for you this morning. I hope you're doing well. Just to show that, that uh, Christ-like love uh, and kindness. You know, I know it's a long time ago, so if, if uh, but if there's a, enough of a relationship where you, you, know, you know something that they enjoy, you know, sending them a gift, that would be a blessing. Just, you know, randomly. Just the ways of... Um, overcoming evil with good is, is what I'm thinking about from Romans 12. And see what the Lord does with that. All right. Well, let me pray.